Hello, everyone, and welcome to Topics in Faith, part of the In Faith series of podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Dynek, and this week we're taking our third look at fruit, the fruit of a life in Christ. What kind of fruit should we be looking for, and how do we know if we're bearing fruit or not? The answer might surprise you or convict you, so let's take a look. So this topic kind of surfaced after I was listening to a podcast by Max Lucado, and some of the things he was saying around this topic, the episode itself wasn't necessarily about this topic, but some of the things he was saying kind of made me realize that I wanted to revisit this this topic. As I said, we've looked at this two other times, but it was more in the vein of doing the work and realizing that, for one thing, you will not necessarily bear fruit in every single season. We looked at that verse that there was one translation that made it sound like you should be bearing fruit all the time. Every other translation kind of didn't indicate that, that there would be periods of time or maybe what you were working on wasn't producing anything yet. And even if you were, or even if you could say that you're producing fruit at all times, it wouldn't necessarily be like your plans coming to fruition, which is kind of, you know, maybe the most common way we think of it is that like, I've been working on this project, you know, to achieve this goal. And the fruit is the the achieving of the goal. The thing is, you know, working the way it's supposed to be or whatever it is. And so today's going to be a little bit different take, and we're going to be looking at what kind of fruit are we even supposed to be looking for? Now, to get us started, we do have a key verse this time, but then we're going to have a whole bunch of other ones that we're going to go and take a look at. So this is going to be another really fun, very verse-heavy, scripture-heavy podcast. We're just going to dive right in. Our key verse comes from John chapter 15, and it's verses 1 through 8, and then 14 through 16. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples." Skipping ahead to verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. So we've kind of visited this set of verses numerous times for numerous different reasons. Even we mentioned the one last week about apart from me, you can do nothing. And again, this is more of the fuller context of that verse is that he's talking about bearing fruit. If we remain in him as he remains in us, that we will bear much fruit to the extent that we can ask whatever we want. We've looked at that verse as well before that the sort of image here is that as long as you're remaining in Christ as he remains in you, then the things you want are going to be the things that the Father wants as well. Now, this isn't to say that prayer is worthless, that you're, you know, things are going to happen whether you pray for it or not or whether you ask for it or not. Um, and this was an illustration that Max Lucado gave, which is a really, really cool one, of the idea of a farmer. 
that if there's a farmer who works his land and he hires someone to work the land with him. And this, you know, we'll say it's a young person after working the farm for a while says, hey, there's this strip of land over here that we don't really do anything with right now. If you give me the resources to go and farm this stretch of land that right now is lying fallow, then I will work it for you and produce a crop. And I'll give, you know, it'll still be your crop, but I'll do the work. And of course, the farmer is going to give them what they need. As long as he knows there's not something wrong with that, or maybe the, the young man isn't actually ready yet to do his own work, but provided everything's in place, that that makes sense, then asking for that land to farm, the, the kid's going to get it, right? If he doesn't ask, then he won't. So there is still the important part of asking for things, but doing it in Jesus' name, in the spirit of what Jesus would do or would have you do. So that's that's the key concept there is that it's not just because you want something, you get it. The intent is that by this point, you have remained in the vine and the vine is remaining in you. And so the things you're asking for are things that the vine would ask for. And so what is this? When we, you know, we saw the, the word fruit in here a whole bunch of times that we're supposed to be bearing much fruit. It's to God's glory that we bear fruit. And as we just said, the idea is that it's something God wants done. It's something that is kingdom work. The thing that God cares about is his kingdom. And as we've talked about a couple different times, he desires all men to be saved. So we want to look at today when Jesus said in verse 16 that he chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last is, in my view, kind of the the key turning point is that there is a specific kind of fruit that he's talking about. So what is that? That's today's episode. What is this fruit that will last? When we do this, this is a key thing to remember. Anytime you're doing a Bible study, especially as we're about to do it, what I ended up doing was just looking at the Greek word for fruit that is translated as fruit in this passage. The trick is that when you do a word study like that, it is going to limit the scope of your study. Okay, because sometimes God's kingdom is, I don't want to say necessarily more complicated than that, but oftentimes there are principles at work that can be talked around without necessarily using the word that you're looking for. There's other verses out there that may support or contradict some of the things I'm about to say. Now, God's word does not contradict itself, but we want to be careful when we do a word study, which we're about to do. We're going to look at this word fruit and understand that this is not necessarily the only places where this idea of bearing fruit and what your life in Christ should look like is talked about. So the the usefulness of it is that, especially if you look at, as we're about to do, all the times this word is used, if the context around the word usage is largely the same, then it can be safe to kind of start to say, okay, maybe if when I use this word, I most often mean this thing, but when the Bible most often uses this word, it has a different meaning, then maybe I need to reconsider what it is I'm talking about. And especially, I would say, if Scripture talks about a concept five different times, and four of those times, the context around it indicates a very clear understanding of that concept, and one of the times is a little bit different, more than likely the four times 
are more accurate representation of that concept than the one time that's different. And maybe there's more studying to do on that different one. So all that to say, while we are going to go look at a whole bunch of verses where the word fruit is used and talk about the context around it, this does not mean this is the only fruit that a life in Christ will bear. But it's very interesting, as you'll see when we go through this word, what it kind of means. Now, the Blue Letter Bible definition of fruit, there's two main ones. One kind of goes along the lines of your progeny. So, you know, your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren are in kind of the Old and New Testament at various times considered the fruit of you. So we're not really looking at that definition much. It only showed it up one or two times though. But the the other series of definitions, the Greek word translated is something that which originates or comes from something, an effect or a result. It can be a work, an act, or a deed. It can be something that gives you an advantage or a profit or utility. It can mean praises, which are presented to God as a thank offering. That can be fruit. It is also in used in the context to gather fruit into life eternal. It is used in figurative discourse of those who by their labors have fitted souls to obtain eternal life. So this is kind of the, the idea that while you are not saved because of the good things you do, the proof of your salvation is the good things that you do. So the good things don't save you, but they prove that you are being saved, that you you have been regenerated on the inside. You're a new creation in Christ. That's kind of the four big sub-definitions of this idea of fruit as it's used in the New Testament. There are a lot of verses. We're not obviously going to go through all of them. There are 66 instances of this Greek word used across 56 different verses. We're looking at just a couple of these. The first comes from Matthew chapter 3, verses 8 and 10. And this is John the Baptist preaching. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So it's kind of reinforcing our topic here of like fruit is something that you should be bearing as a result of repenting from your previous way of life and coming to Christ. Matthew chapter six, verse 16 and 17, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Matthew 13, verse 8 says, Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Remember, and this is the parable of the, the seeds. The seed is the word of God. Depending on what type of heart or what kind of person or soil it falls on, it reacts different ways. The seed that falls on good soil produces a crop. And if we look at that analogy or that parable to kind of its logical conclusion, the crop is more seed. The thing that you get from the seed is a plant that bears more seed. And what you're harvesting is the seed, not categorically, but most of the time. So what does that imply? That the fruit in this instance is more seed for the sower to cast out in order to have more crop. Matthew 21 verses 34 and 43. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. Okay, so this is another one of Jesus' parables. And because of the way these servants were treated by the tenants, Jesus says in verse 43, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, 
the Israelites at that point because they were not giving God the harvest that he had sown. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Romans chapter 1 verse 13 says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. So again, this harvest is more people brought to salvation. Romans chapter 6 verse 20 through 22 says, What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. So in this one, the word benefit is that word fruit, okay? So he says, what fruit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? He was talking about before they came to know the gospel, before they were saved, saying, what fruit did you reap? What benefit did you reap from the things that you are now ashamed of, things that you did, things the way you acted, Before you were saved, anything, any fruit that produced at that point resulted in death. But now that we've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit or the fruit that you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. That one we're perhaps the most familiar with, the use of fruit. Ephesians 5 verse 9 says, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. The fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Hebrews 12 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So the fruit of righteousness comes through discipline. James chapter 3, verse 17, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So wisdom will bear fruit as well. Revelation 22, verse 2 says, On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding us fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So just these couple examples, and you can go through and look Again, blueletterbible.org, all 56 verses if you want, all 66 instances of it. The majority of them deal with fruit in this type of way as we've just seen, where it is fruit of the kingdom, it is eternal life, it is the fruits of the spirit living in you. It's all these types of things, this sort of spiritual character building or character driven things. It is salvation, it is those who are saved. Whereas... Perhaps sometimes, and this I think is hitting me especially kind of recently with working on my books and you know, I had, I had taken off a couple of months over the winter to work on my writing and these sorts of things. And we were hoping to see a fruit or the fruit of full-time living off of the writing. And that's not, I don't think, uncommon. Because even as I said, when we start to hear about or start, you know, we read the verse that says, anything you ask for in the name of Jesus, you will receive because it's to God's glory that you bear much fruit. And there's an interesting kind of social study history thing that I had, I had read a bit of some time ago now. And it was looking at why capitalism came kind of into prominence in the United States. And the theory was that at the time, right around the time when when the idea of capitalism really began to germinate, if we could say, was also at a time where 
One of the prevalent teachings in Christianity was that you could not be certain of your salvation. This is something that, as a logical kind of deduction, can seem to be true. Because there will be people that look on the outside as though they are saved. And then something happens, and they fall away, and they seem to go completely away from Christ. And if you ask people, like, how do we understand this? What happens to these people that they seemed like they were so filled with Christ and with the spirit of God and all these things. And they were doing all these great, incredible and amazing things. And then all of a sudden they completely reject it and completely turn away from it. How does that happen to people who are saved? And usually the answer is, well, maybe they weren't actually really saved at the outset that they were able to kind of fake it for a while. They were able to read the scriptures and put verses together and they could kind of talk the talk and maybe even appear to walk the walk. But in the end, they were never actually saved. He's like, well, then how do you know whether or not you're saved? Because it looked like they were. They presumably thought that they were. What happened here? And so even today, when you start arguing that or start looking at these cases of Christians who seem to be really strong in the Lord and then fall completely away, it's like the only answer that we can think of is that, well, maybe they weren't actually saved. It's like, well, then how do you know if you're saved or not? How do I know I'm not going to fall away a year from now? And so there's this whole big thing Because of that and various other thoughts at the time, it was starting to be taught that you cannot be certain of your salvation just by thinking that you are. And so the result that came out of that was to say, well, one way to tell if you're saved or not is if God prospers you. The idea or the assumption was that, you know, God's not going to bless evil. He's only going to bless the good. And so capitalism came along around that time, it was kind of, you know, they were both coming up at the same time, I believe is what the article was talking about. And so the idea, one of the driving ideas, even behind the United States, when it was being formed, was that like, well, people need to be as free as possible to make money or to gain property, whatever it is, like add value, material value, in order that they can prove that they are saved, was the theory proposed by this article. And so you had to have a free economy where people were allowed to try to make as much money as possible in order to show that they were saved. Because if they, if the reason they couldn't bear fruit was because of all the laws and other people sort of hindering them from that, then maybe they were saved, but they would never be able to tell because they weren't able to show that God was prospering them. And so that was why when you look at so many scriptures that really sort of tried to disassociate following Christ with having money to the extent we start getting into the rich young ruler because he loved his riches so much, he was unwilling to give it up in order to follow Christ. Again, money itself isn't bad, but his love for money was greater than his love for Jesus. But there's certainly many places throughout scripture that they don't make much out of the idea of acquiring wealth. And so you start to wonder, why is it in this Christian nation, it was supposed to be, was the idea of being able to freely accumulate wealth, how did that, how did those two come up side by side? And this was the theory put forth. So even though since then, we've kind of moved, at least in large part, past the uncertainty of salvation, there are still denominations or whatever that that do follow that idea. For the most part, by and large, the teaching now is that no, you can be certain that you're saved as long as you repent of your sins and confess Jesus as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, as it says in scripture, then you're saved and you don't have to worry about it. 
even though that is kind of been put to rest since then, it seems like the idea of God's material blessings being proof of salvation has persisted in our minds and most overtly in the prosperity gospel. The idea that if you come to Christ, he's going to give you a whole bunch of stuff. There's even different kind of shades to that concept we're not going to get into today, but that's kind of there. And so it's sort of very natural for us when we start talking about our lives bearing fruit, we tend to think of things that we can see, things that we can measure, sort of material things, whether it's me working on my books and things like that. My idea of fruit or what I want to be the fruit of that work is that I'm selling enough copies of books that I can live off of the income. Okay, so that's that's there and we recognize that. But what's interesting to sort of reconsider is a passage of scripture from Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 through 46 and verse 48. And it says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Verse 48 says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so even God blesses those who are evil. Okay, so for the longest time, I misunderstood part of this verse because I don't personally like the rain. I don't like getting rained on. There's very little that I enjoy doing when it's raining, except for reading and writing, I guess. But like any of my outdoor things that I enjoy doing, as soon as it rains, all that kind of goes out the window. And so I always saw rain as a bad thing. But in the vein of farming and all those sorts of things, You don't have a good crop unless you have rain. You need rain and sunshine both. And so it is here saying that like God provides rain and sunshine for everybody. And so even evil people can produce large crops because God just gives it out freely. So blessing, especially material blessing, is not necessarily proof that you are saved. Certainly it's it's no proof that you're saved or not it's not even necessarily proof that you're doing the right thing, okay? Especially as we're kind of getting into here, depending on the fruit you're looking for. If you're only looking for this sort of material fruit, you may end up missing a whole other range of things that God has in mind. So I want to remind us to set our mind on things of heaven. Wherever you go, whatever it is you're doing, what fruit are you bearing? When you go to your job, Are you sowing peace? When you enter a conversation, do you plant joy? When your situation is difficult, do you see patience sprouting? When anger and frustration is rising around you, do you cast seeds of kindness? When everyone else is quietly quitting, do you cultivate faithfulness? When your friends or coworkers give up or slip back into their old habits, do you water self-control? And not just in yourself, do you toil for a crop of 160 or 30 times what was sown in you. Stop looking for just material fruit, just success in business and your finances and what kind of home or car you have and start planting fruit that will last. Yes, we need to do a good job. We need to work hard. We need to be a blessing to those who lack, as it says in James chapter two, verses 15 through 16 says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? But also remember Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? 
or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? When we're looking to bear fruit, think about the fruits of the Spirit. Don't just think about, as we said, these sort of material fruits, things we can turn into grape juice or wine or bread or whatever it is, but think about, as I said, especially these fruits of the Spirit. Is there fruit that you're bearing? Are you even trying to? Is that something you're considering? That in every conversation you enter, in every situation you go into, what sort of harvest, what sort of crop are you nurturing in those situations? And pursue that and try to see fruit in those sorts of things and ask God for the ability to bear fruit in those situations and that kind of fruit and fruit ideally that will last. That's kind of it for this week. <laughs> we wrapped up really quickly there after sort of a long time getting to the point. We have a couple of things we could end up talking about next week. I don't know which one it's going to be. So tune in and we'll both find out together. It should be quite a bit of fun. Until then, keep the faith and keep it fresh. 